What's up, everyone? Shane Larson here with the Game Time Guru Podcast. A couple weeks ago, we had Chris Sorrow, professional bare-knuckle fighter here on the show, sharing his story with us, getting to know him better. And in that interview, we talked about a loss that he had to a man by the name of Josh Burns. Well, today, this is the first time on the Game Time Guru where we're going to be interviewing an opponent of one of our former guests, and I'm going to be talking to Josh Burns. It's going to be an awesome conversation. You're going to learn his story. It's super, super exciting. Um, and you get to hear his whole journey in bare knuckle fighting, including his reign over in, in the UK before it became legal here in the US. Um, he's been fighting in mixed martial arts for quite some time and uh, has quite the journey and story to share with the rest of us. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, that you've left a review for the show on Apple Podcasts and get ready because this is the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game time. This is the Game Time Guru podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. This is episode 204 of the show. Excited to have everybody here with us today for this awesome interview as we're going to get to know another professional fighter at a deeper level. Uh, before we get started, I just got to give a shout out to all the listeners and all the supporters over the last four and a half years who have helped this show grow to what it is. Like I said before, 91 different countries, over 67,000 downloads of the show. We continue to grow. Now, listen, we have the show on all the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so forth, slowly building the YouTube channel so you guys can go over there. That's not the biggest platform, but I would encourage you guys, if you want to see the video version of these interviews, go to YouTube and subscribe as we continue to slowly build that channel. But the show has been on all the podcast platforms from the very beginning. If you happen to listen to it on Apple, leave me a review. Let's get this show to continue to grow and get out to more people. Now, you guys have listened to the show. You know that I... Massive fan of combat sports. We've had a couple of different types of fighters on the show. And most recently, we had a uh, uh, bare knuckle fighter. Well, through that interview, kind of stemmed up the uh, the thought of reaching out to our guest today, which is Josh the Hammer Burns, who is another bare knuckle fighter. And there's a reason for that. We might get to it here in the interview. But I get to talk to Josh today and hear about his story. So first things first, Josh, thanks for joining the show, man. Right on, man. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. So... Josh, uh, if you wouldn't mind, this is going to actually, this is a, this is a reason I'm asking this question. Do you mind telling the audience, you know, how old you are and how long you've been fighting for? So, yeah, so I'm 43 and, uh, I've been boxing since I was five and, uh, switched over to kickboxing at the jet center in, uh, Canoga Park, California with Benny the jet at 11 and, uh, did kickboxing for like five years, six years straight. And then went back to boxing. Uh, got a few golden gloves, a couple silver gloves under my belt. And, uh, then, uh, met Mark Coleman, Kevin Randleman, the, the hammer house crew, uh, and, uh, <laughs> started doing the MMA, uh, you know, from that point forward, moved up to Detroit. So I was kind of trying to hone in on the boxing a little more because, you know, it might be a little more money in it at the time. And, you know, Manny Stewart, God bless him. You know, he's passed now, but Manny was just like, look, bro, the Tyson era is over. Everybody I was sparring with was like six five, six seven. Uh, Julius Long was like seven foot two, and I just couldn't touch these guys. Like they just, the Lennox Lewis just keep me long, and I uh, just couldn't touch them unless I wrestled with them. And then, you know, of course, 
Manny didn't like that at all. So, but, uh, so yeah, so, uh, long story short, that, that, that's how it all got began. And, you know, was supposed to fight the UFC, fight Gabriel Gonzaga and Gonzaga broke his hand. And so they were going to shelf me. And instead of being shelved and waiting, I decided to, with my manager at the time, Brett Baker, we decided to take the jump over the Bellator. We went to Bellator with uh, father, good friend, Eric Prendel, and we're both six and one and the rest is history, man. Fought there. And, uh, you know, by the time my MMA was more of a hobby for me, my true love is boxing, you know, and I'm a short and heavyweight, obviously. So boxing really wasn't a, an option for me with the, with the new era of fighters that were coming out, you know, Tyson Fury's guys like that. They're just long. It just, it's hard to touch them, you know, and I'm not the most, uh, I mean, I've got skill, you know, I've learned from the best in the world. I can teach it, but my little short stumpy ass, I'm more of a fighter. So, you know, the, when the bare knuckle presented itself, uh, shoot, this like almost seven years ago. And with Dave Feldman here in the States, but he ran into a lot of roadblocks and I didn't want to sit stagnant. I had one more fight with Bellator and I really didn't want to go back to MMA because it was really more of a hobby. And I, and I didn't, I trained hard and I tried to fight hard, you know, but uh, it wasn't, it didn't have my fire, didn't have my passion. And I just got an offer to fight bare knuckle in the UK through a guy named uh, Shannon Rich. And <laughs> he set it up. I went over to the UK and, you know, that's it. The rest is, is, you know, what we see here. I fell in love with it. It was probably the, the pure sport that I love. You know, guys got to stand and bang with me. It's not MMA where they can run and try to, you know, grab me, kick me, do all that junk. And they got to stand and bang and it's bone on bone. So, you know, have a hundred percent finish ratio, um, seven and three, and all seven of my wins came by knockout under three minutes. And uh, yeah, just just <laughs> there you go. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Man, so that is so awesome. And and the thing is, the reason I even asked the question at the beginning of how old you are is because somebody might look at that and be like forty three, like whoa, dude. And you know the, the typical fans gonna be like, that's like Anderson Silva style type, of like fighting way past your prime, yada yada yada. But I'm gonna tell everybody as we get to know you a little bit more. I still think you've got a lot left in the tank, man. And that's what's so much fun about like talking to someone like yourself and you have this passion, this drive. Um, age is literally just a number. And I think it is the coolest thing to see that you're like at the top of this game pretty much uh, in bare knuckle fighting. Now, you did fight, like you said, for for Bellator, some bigger promotions in mixed martial arts. See, it's not just like you were fighting mixed martial arts all at local promotions, like these smaller – you did get an opportunity to fight at a, in a bigger promotion. And I am curious, Josh, the – the professionalism. I want to know from your perspective as a fighter how the BKFC, for example, which is relatively new in combat sports in the United States compared to like that of Bellator, like these promotions, how do they compare with one another? Do you feel like the BKFC is pretty professional the way they conduct themselves when you actually are part of the event uh, compared to like that of Bellator or something like that nature? Yeah, no, I think uh, BKFC definitely tries to conduct themselves at the highest level. You know, the good thing is we have Nate Shook, who's been around the game a long time, Dave Feldman, who was a fighter himself. So they know the game and they know how things are supposed to be done. And then you got Dave Jr., which is a uh, senior son. And that guy's like a media guru. The guy knows everything. So he runs all the media. And, you know, just like any young company up and coming, we got some, you know, hiccups here and there. But besides that, I mean, it's ran as professional as any show. I mean, I've been backstage for UFC, been obviously fought seven times for Bellator, all main events, our main card, uh, except excluding once. And they literally have the same production, the same operations. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing to see. And it's the, the sport's growing. You know, I, I went to the UK for five years because it wasn't legal here. 
and it did get legalized when I was fighting in the UK, but I had, the, I had a two-year contract there and I finished my contract with them. And, you know, I think they had been here two years by the time I signed with them. And by the time I fought the first fight with Chris Saro, I think it was their third year. And just from that first fight with Saro to now, it, it's, it's just grown leaps and bounds from then to now, which is a short period of time. So, you know, as far as the professionalism and the way the production crew and everything, they, they do great. They do a great job and they try their damnedest to keep it at the highest level. That is awesome. As a fan, it seems like it on, on the productions, like when I'm watching them, I love them. I love how they do it. And in fact, for those who haven't caught a, a BKFC like promotion, you haven't watched a, an event, I highly encourage you to do so because I love how it's efficient, man. You get a lot of fights on on the, the production and, and it's like, and it goes like they're very efficient with getting the fights out there. They're exciting, but they get them done and they move to the net. It's not like a ton of like wait time. And I think it looks great uh, from the fans perspective. It's always cool, but it's here. It's cool to hear it from a, an actual fighter who's participating in the event and how it compares to that of like Bellator since you've been there. Now you mentioned fighting in the UK and this is a question I've had, like, especially in the boxing world, right, Josh, it's like a lot of, a lot of fighters from overseas for a long time. Didn't get the, you know, the credit, like Tyson Fury took a lot of flack cause he was winning titles over in, on on that side of the world and no one actually like believed he was that great of a fighter um because people just like kind of dog on on that side for when it comes to fighting tell me your experience when in bare knuckle at least fighting over there the fighters that you you competed with there compared to what you've seen so far in the bkfc do you feel like they've got some good bare knuckle fighters in the uk yeah well you gotta think like uh this is not boxing and you know i'm a boxing fan first you know and yeah, with boxing, it's absolutely. You're in the UK and you've done a great, lot of great stuff in the UK as a boxer. Um, you're not proven until, and Fury knows that. Like, look at look what Tyson did. He came here and fought here on American soil, and that's and beat an American, you know, a stud here in America, and that's what gave him validity. And that's you know, don't not like he wasn't a big fan or big star before, but that gave him validity. Now, as far as bare knuckle, you have to think this stuff started and originated in the UK. So you have the travelers, the, the gypsies and the travelers, and I think it's the same people, sorry. But, uh, you know, they these guys are, are cut from a different cloth, you know, truly. And I met some great guys like Jimmy Sweeney, Nick Terrell, uh, Harry Miles, uh, Jimmy McCory. Like, these guys are legends, you know. And uh, Jimmy McCory and Jimmy Sweeney, for sure, uh, those guys been around forever. And they grow up doing this thing. And you, I think in the U.K., they don't have guns like we do here. So they take it a little different. There's a lot of knife violence over there, but and bats and all that good junk. But most of the time, you'll see a lot of these guys do what they call straighteners. And they'll be like, yo, you got a problem with me? I got a problem with you. They, they bring their money. They bring their money. They give it to a mutual third party, and they fight it out, bare fist. And winner takes all. They shake hands when they're done, and it's done. You know, And uh, you got to have a lot of – you have to have respect for that. So do they have a lot of uh, quality fighters? I think I think they they had fighters there when I was there. You know, Jimmy Sweeney and those guys are really solid. They have a lot of good fighters from Wales and the UK. The, the sad thing is, is a lot of these guys get locked into the smaller promotions like the BKB over there. And, uh, you know, they're never really going to get an opportunity to, to have, to see what could happen over here in the U.S. Now, BKF, BKFC is going to go to UK, but, you know, at the same time, if these guys are locked into contracts and trust me, you know, it's like, it's like girls fighting promotion between the two promotions. Like, you know, at the end of the day, BKFC, they're, they're the A level, you know, and BKB is definitely the B level and the best fighters that fight for them know that like Mick Terrell, we got Mick Terrell over here. I fought him for the heavyweight strap in the UK at the O2 arena. And, uh, 
I, I they stopped it in the fourth because my nose got ripped off. But uh, it was a great fight. We were still fighting. You know, Mick's one of the best fighters in the world, and he retired because just they don't pay him enough over there. They don't take care. You know, they they just didn't have the means to make it worth his time. And you know, with Ian Mosey, we, we got it worked out and got him over here. He's gonna be fighting this in what two weeks in Tampa. And he'll be fighting uh, the first ever BTFC heavyweight champion, Adam Arnold's. So it's right there is going to show you whether or not you know the UK has what it takes to fight with the, the Americans because Adam Arnold is a, was a world champion, the first world champion for BTFC. And uh, my personal opinion, I like AJ AJ Arnold's Adam. I think he's a great fighter. I think he's slick, but I just think Mickey's going to be too much. I I've personally stayed in the ring with Mick, and uh, Mick's a problem. He's going to be a problem for a lot of guys over here. So. So yeah, so that's a long, a long answer to uh, to an easy question, but yeah, I think they got a lot of great fighters. No, that's that's a great answer to the question. So I appreciate that. I, I um, I've always been interested in that concept and, and that whole side of it, and I didn't know about the culture over there too. So I appreciate that perspective as well, like just the culture of being over there in the UK, kind of what they do. You don't realize it as a as a normal person over here. You don't realize that they don't have guns over there the same they do here, like same rights and whatnot, the same access to that. So a lot of it's done with. You know their hands and they that's kind of what they grow up with so you have to have a little bit of respect for that now josh the bkfc I, i'm curious you know how your camps go right let's say you get a fight and when you're when you're a professional boxer or a professional mma fighter um typically a camp is going to last anywhere from eight to 12 weeks depending on the person and their means and whatnot i'm curious for bare knuckle do you train the same way how do you do a specific like an actual camp um and what do those consist of for a fighter like yourself yeah you know um it's just funny to watch all these yahoos giving here and act like they know especially americans you know the americans they're just they're just now getting hit to the bare knuckle and and you see you see god you see american oh i'm out here they're punching steel poles and doing all this stuff that like you know the the monks and Shaolin monks do. I'm like, yo, bro, they do that shit for like 20 years and their shit turns to like really hard. Right. But bro, you do that stuff in six weeks. You just, it, it's just superficial wounds to your hand. It's not, you're not callousing nothing. Like you've got to train like a boxer. That's what happens. You put on your 16 ounce gloves. Um, what I like to do is I like to train without wraps because that makes my wrist stronger. You know, the impacts a lot more real to my hand besides i'm not having superficial wounds to the to the skin not tearing knuckles off stuff like that and uh it's my tools you gotta take care of your tools and uh in bare knuckle you know you're, you're training like a boxer that's what i mean i don't care what anybody tells you you're gonna train like a boxer that's a hybrid wrestler because they in the bkfc they allow you to clinch um some guys would say oh it's a muay thai well a plum tie is a two-handed plum tie you know boom uh, so we're only allowed to do singles. So if you're doing a single tie, that's like wrestling. So, and as you wrestle, you're in a position and it's going to be about footwork, pressure. People don't realize that the ropes for BKFC are steel bars. Okay. So <laughs> galvanized pipe. And my last fight, I had a poor outing. I just, I pretty much fell flat in my fight against uh, uh, Frank Tate. So, you know, no, like I'm not taking anything away from Frank, Frank, beat my ass and god bless him he did, he did what he had to do but uh in that second round you see i fall and i hit my head on the back onto the galvanized pipe and i'm telling you that 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 rung my bell more than and it wasn't even a knockdown we just tripped like tripped over his feet and that rung my bell more than any punch that he threw because wow. it's 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 a steel bar and uh so you got to know your environment you got to prepare for it and it's it's a brutal but 
a brutal, savage environment, but it's, it's artwork, you know, and it, that's why I love it so much. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we, we got to, as far as training camp goes, you, you, you have to do wall work because when you push up against the ropes, it's not ropes like in a boxing ring. Like that shit's like a wall. I can push you up. You watch Chris and uh, Saros fight with myself. We ended up on the ropes a couple times, a couple times at a high rate of speed. And uh, you'll see them move like up or down, but they don't bend. And uh, when you hit those things, they'll, they'll put bruises on you. And so you can utilize those just like MMA would use wall work. So it, in my opinion, if you're not doing wall work as a bare knuckle fighter, you're an idiot. You know, if you're not doing wrestling, like stand up, grappling like Greco, if you're not doing it, you're, you're, you're just you're missing something. So because that's part of the whole game, you know, and for a guy like me, shorter, stout, like I'm going to want to get inside. I'm going to want to rough you up, push you around. And I've yet to fight. And I've not fought some of the toughest, strongest guys in the world. I've trained with the best in the world. And I'm telling you, I've never been out muscled. And, you know, it's a blessing. But, you know, I utilize that to my advantage, you know, especially in the BKC. BKB, I couldn't. BKB is what they call Victorian boxing, which is proper, back proper. You're not grabbing. If you grab, you got to break. If you watch Mick Terrell in my fight, uh, when we fought, you'll see there's a couple times because my nose, they got ripped off and I was wiping my, I'd grab them and I'd wipe my nose on them to kind of clear my face. And he didn't like that very much. And I mixed my boy, but you could see Mick's pulling his hands up in the air like, why is he grabbing me? Like, what's going on? So, but here in the BKC, we're allowed to do that. So, you know, right. so when you, when you train, you're going to train boxing because you're going to train hands, but you need to train proper. You got to throw punches down the pipe, you know, and I've got Chris coming up here for camp. And I think we're just going to make a whole new monster out of sorrow. You know, he's, he's got every tool you could possibly need to be a champion. It's just, I think he just needs a little more guidance uh, and a proper camp of big guys to, to bang on. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it, you know, as far as training goes, it, it's proper punching technique. And, you know, it's that old school stuff, the old school stuff that I know that I learned from a lot of my cats over in the UK, you know, and uh, it, it's old school, dirty type boxing. And there's some stuff that I learned from those cats that I guarantee people here still are not hip to it. And no, I'm, I'll give my boys, my, my close friends and training partners, you know, I'll keep them hip to it. But, you know, I don't publicly say what it is. But there's a few things that are uh, pretty sweet. The, the, it's bare knuckle. You, know, you think about it. The body is so fragile and there's so many ways to exploit that, which is a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Man, that's that's actually really cool. All those insights, and it is interesting for me for you know talking to a heavyweight like yourself, like training with the big gloves, you know, the normal sparring type of gloves, sixteen ounces with no wrist wraps, the types of things. That's kind of the stuff I wanted to to kind of hear is like, how do you strengthen your hands without breaking your hands? You know, like how do you strengthen your tools, is as you call them, without breaking your tools? And that's that's uh, very. It shows the experience is what I'm trying to get at. It shows your experience in the fight game from the time you were five years old till now. You've been around the game a little bit, and now you adjusted to this bare knuckle um, style of, of fighting, and then your training has to adapt to that as, as well. Super intriguing, and I did not know that the the ropes were basically steel. I did not know that piece, so yeah. that is very intriguing. I'll be looking for that in the next fights because yeah. I did not realize that. Um, oh yeah, yep. Dang man, so so Josh, you, talking about being uh, a big guy, you've referenced the the ripped off nose. We. We saw the last fight. Um, if you guys haven't seen the fight uh, with Tate between Josh and and, and Tate, um, we saw, you know, you got, got tagged a few times. And that's just part of the game. I tell people that all the time. It's like, dude, 
it's part of the sport, man. You're going to get caught. And especially at this size, like one, sometimes that just happens. Right. And you took some damage and you just kept walking forward. Like, that's the thing is like, he was a big boy. Uh, it's, it's not like he's a small individual. That dude's a big boy. And uh, you kept, you just kept taking shots and kept going forward. I mean, you, you lasted, what did you say? How many, did you go all the way to the decision on that? No, no, I went to the, I think it was going to go, it was third round or fourth round. It was either and, third uh, or fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just, uh, <laughs> I got knocked down and I'm like, God bless it. So I roll over, get on my knee. I look at the ref and I'm like, I go, if I keep doing this, I'm just, I'm going to probably get hurt, like seriously injured. And he's like, what, what? I mean, he's like, are you done? I go, yeah. I, I'm like, it's just not my night. He's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, it's just not my night, bro. He's like, all right, I'm stunned. So, but uh, at the end of the day, I was supposed to fight Dylan Kleckler. Right. And Dylan Kleckler pulled out, claiming injury, and then that cat's walking around the damn fight arena without a limp. He claimed that he tore his – now, see, I'm educated, bro. And, and any other athlete in the world that knows, you say you tear your hamstring, whether grade one, grade two, grade three, no matter – like, there's levels to this shit. So even if it was a grade three, like, and you know what I'm saying, like, you would have some kind of limp, all right? This dude's walking around smiling, smoking and joking with people, drinking his alcohol, like – Bro, you pulled out. You used to be bitched up. You pulled out. And I got a new opponent on Monday, the week of the fight, which was I was going to fight a guy that was my size. You know, he's littler than me, but he looks all shredded um, and Kleckler. And uh, and I got Frank Tate, who's 6'4", 6'5", and he had a 10-inch 10 10 inch reach advantage. I wasn't worried about it, to be quite honest with you. I thought I was just going to go in there and smoke him and felt great going into it. My catwalk was great. Had fun, danced down the aisle, acting like a goofball. My kids were there, so I was acting like trying to embarrass them, you know, acting like goofball. And uh, got in there. He came in, the Sweet Home Alabama. I was dancing to it. That was cool. And it was how I knew I was off. Is the ref looked at us and goes, "Okay, let's total line." And I looked at the ref and I go, "That line, like right there, that line." And I wasn't being goofy. Like that was a legit question. And I'm like, right there, mentally, something was something wasn't there, you know. And even Tate, I've talked to Frank, and I got a lot of a lot of respect for Frank. And and he just goes, I expect you to fight like Josh. He goes, you didn't fight like yourself, you know. You like I expected more from you. And I'm like, I apologize, you know. At the end of the day, like, don't know what was going on. I was like in mud, you know. I was like in quicksand, and and I you can't take a punch from a man like Frank Tate and expect it not to do something to you. And yeah. you know, and I turned, you know, when I got hit the first one, I turned my head like this. So getting hit right in the temple, you could see at the end of the fight, I had a hematoma from the back of my ear to, to my temple. And it was from taking those right hands. I mean, he's, his hands are like lunchboxes. So, and, you know, I, I proved that, you know, I have a tough guy. It's, it's hard to separate me from consciousness. But uh, but at, at some point, you have to be a professional and go, you know what? It's just not my night. And I need to, to, to live the fight another day. And, I, and thank God, you know, thank God I fought in the U.K., because I learned that from them guys, them guys, you know, they taught me, you know, Hey, you can't win them all. And if you're in a situation or predicament that it's not going your way, just stop, you know, make sure you don't jack yourself up, you know? And with Tate, that's what I did. Cause I'm Tate had the ability to probably seriously hurt me if I would have kept going. Cause as you said, I would just kept getting up and I kept walking into everything. And then when we tied up, he always ended up under me. If you, if you watch the fight, he ended up under me. So my MMA experience, like grappling, I was dominant grappler. You know, I had him under me every time in the state, take advantage of it. You know, I was just a nice guy. He's like, oh, okay, cool. You know? And if you saw every time he knocked me down, I slap his hand, tell him good job. You know, I, I don't know what was wrong with me, you know, and it, it takes nothing away from Frank. Frank was the man, but uh, <laughs> it, it was a unique 
a unique night and it is bare knuckle. So you just can't take that kind of damage and expect to, you know, no matter how tough you are, you, you can't take that kind of damage without having something happen, you know? Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, and I thought Tate did a great job with his jab. Like you mentioned a uh, reach advantage. He had a lot of straights, like his jab and his straight were just kind of like a very, you know, like boxing one-on-one style, like yep. very, but like, that's what he had to do. And he was able to connect, which if anybody has any fight experience, like that's a tough, that's a tough night in the office when they're actually connecting with those things and you're just not in your game. And then all of a sudden you're like, dude, anything I do, I can't, I can't slip yeah. it. I can't get inside. It's just the nature of the game. I am curious though, Josh, like, you got your nose ripped off back in the day. You got, you know, your eye got kind of cut open, but bare knuckle. What is, what would you say is the worst, you know, like injury you've taken in the game? Well, the worst one, uh, I fought Daniel Pottimore in the UK. And if you watch that fight now, the BKB, because they're just not professional, you know, that's just the easiest way to say it. I'll leave it at that. They're not professional. Uh, so I have wins, all my knockout wins, they took off the internet and they left up four fights. My Nick Terrell, my Harry Miles, those were two clear losses. I lost those fights. Then I fought a guy named Tony Johnson. He's a stud. But Tony, he cut. He cut me. It was a fingernail cut above my eyes, clear as day. Um, even the, the medical professionals in the background, like, yo, you got, it looks like you were cut by like a surgical thing. Because you got punched, it's like a great, you know. And this is where medical people, people that are uneducated, like the owners of BKB, they just, oh, no, mate, you just, you, you, you lost. And I'm like, okay. Then I provide the medical paperwork and like, oh, well, we'll fix it. That never happened. Then I fought Daniel Pottimore, knocked it out. Like I knocked him out in the first round. They gave him a 22, 23 second count. You get a, I think, I think it's a 19 or 18 second count over there. And uh, he took every bit of it and some more. And then they let him go. Well, I went in for the finish, went in for the finish. And I got a thumb that went so far in the back of my eye, it pinched my ocular nerve. I wasn't allowed to leave the UK. And again, I have the UK doctors. This ain't American doctors. It's the UK cats. They're not going to let me get on the plane because they're saying I need to have surgery. To, they, they blow air into your eye or something. I don't know. But my ocular nerves, if you look up where the ocular nerve is, it's behind the fucking eye. And their exact words was the only way that that gets damaged like that is by some type of projectile being shot into the eye. They're like, well, surprise, your eyeball didn't come out of socket. And I'll be honest with you. And I said it after the fight. I had video where I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, I don't know what happened. But Potomir hits harder than any person I've ever been hit by because it hurt so bad. My eye hurt so bad. I, you'll see I hug him and I'm holding him on the ropes and I'm just holding my eye on him. And uh, I didn't know I got thumbed, you know. And, you know, what did you just say in the last fight? I got hit and I just keep coming forward, right? That's me. I'm just going to keep coming forward. Like, I'm not, I'm not a bitch. I'm not going to look at the rope. Oh, my eye. Like, that's just not me. Well, it's a detriment. Because then go, you go from that first round where obviously I clearly won 10-8. That first round, 10-8. Knocked him down. I did, anyone watched the fight, I, I knocked him out. Then going the second round, my eye just goes, whoop, it's giant swollen. And then he's taking liberties hitting me, and I'm having a hard time. I'm, I'm one-eyed. But he can't hurt me. He can't hurt me while he's hitting me. And then, of course, they throw in the red towel. Like, oh, oh, God, God, no. Little did I know this was going to be my last fight with them. And, you know, so I think there was a little rubbish going on in the back. But uh, long story short, went to the hospital, have all the documents. We've kept the documents. My attorneys have kept the documents because they, what BKB did was they did something to try to hurt me by taking all my wins down, but they only ended up helping me. They helped my, the allure of who I am because I have all the medical documents that I've proven to all the interviewers that I've interviewed with. I, I can email them to you and you'll see it's from the King George or whatever hospital that is. And it's their professionals that are like, yo, you, somebody 
put something in your eye. And obviously I'm a fighter. They're like, you got a finger in the eye. It's clear. You got a finger in the eye. Well, there's a couple still shots where you can see where his fist is here. You don't see his thumb. It's and that motherfucker's buried in my eye. So, and it's not Daniel's, it's not Pottermore's fault. Pottermore's a good fighter. He's a tough dude. It just happened to be, I was going in for the kill and he was like this doing that, you know, and, and by leaning back and doing that number, you know, you don't have control of your fingers. And I, I obviously took one right to the eye and I'm not going to complain about it because I, you know, I just, I got hit. God's honest truth. But I got hit and I didn't realize I was poked in the eye until the doctor said it. And then we rewatched the fight and we watched it in slow-mo and, and she basically sitting there looking, I go right here or right here. She gave me two options. She goes, happened on that punch or this punch. And she goes, I'm surprised that your, your eye stayed in the socket. I didn't know that your eye can pop out of socket and not lose your eye. You can pop it back in. I didn't know that. I learned that there. So, so she was like, you, you were very close to having your eye pop out. And that was probably the most painful thing I have ever gone through because, uh, it, I didn't know if I was going to be able to fight again. I was worried about my retina being torn. It was crazy. My retina didn't get torn. No damage to the eye. It was just that ocular nerve got pinched. And it took me almost a year to heal it and rehab it before the doctors would give me the, the okay to where I could take blows to the head again. Wow, dude. It actually yeah. makes my eye hurt thinking about it. And, and, you know, I've never been poked to that extent. But, you know, I, I remember there's a basketball tournament, Josh. I got I was going for a rebound. I was pulling the ball down. Guy was swiping up for the ball and just went straight into my eye. And I just remember like how bad it hurt. I couldn't get it. I couldn't, I couldn't get it better. Like everyone's like, dude, yeah. just take a couple minutes, go on to the side, sub in, whatever. And I'm like, dude, I it won't get better. I couldn't even open my eye. And so like just the thought of that actually like makes me sick. I can't believe that. So that's like the dangers of the game that you wouldn't even think of. Like most fans would be like, Oh, I got cracked, shattered my orbital bone, or whatever it may be, right? And it's like, no, this is a freak accident that happens in the sport, man. Super so, yeah, crazy. Yeah. You got to think Daniel Pottermore is their heavyweight champion now. So it's funny wow. because so he's their heavyweight champion. He's a stud. He hits hard. So imagine him throwing a punch like he's it's, it's fight or flight. and He's not running. He's going to fight. So and I walk right into him doing, you know, doing this number. You clearly see it on the fight doing this number. And one of the punches just see there's two spots where it could have happened where we didn't see where the thumb was. We saw where the hand was, but the thumb was gone. And uh <laughs> It's funny. So, you know, get a, a top caliber fighter like himself going with the power that he has and those, you know, instead of hitting you, he's throwing that, you know, thumb uh-huh. in the eye. So it's not like I said, it's nothing against Daniel. Pottermore's a good guy. He's a quality fighter. It just, it happens. You know, that kind of shit happens. The, the bad part is, is that provide the documentation, show everything. And then the promotion, like that's the bad thing about BKB. BKB is the wild west. So like when, Tony Johnson and I fought it was supposed to be for the heavyweight title because Nick was gone. It was the vacated heavyweight championship. And uh, even though it was cut, you know, and it was clearly from a fingernail, they came back, Tony came back to see me and I'm like, yo, make sure you get your belt. Don't let these guys not give you your belt because they're classic for it. There's no commissions over there. They're not overseen by anybody. They go, Oh, we have the WBK something. It's some bullshit. They made up. They legit. I'm not even being a hater. Like legit. They have no governing bodies over there. So, they represent they they monitor and and corral themselves so whatever jim and joe want to happen that's what happens so at the end of the day they, they they're not accountable to anybody so they can say what they want that, that's why they go to box rec you go like four different places look for my record every place is different every record's different everywhere you go you're like we're like burns what is your record like what well here you go this is this is what it is you know and i and i lay it out and you got Jim and Joe, oh, that's not his record. He lost four times over here. And we're like, 
I lost two times, lost my debut, and I lost for the world title, 100%. Tony Johnson and I, it was a clear, clearly, it was a cut. Clear, like in the first round, we threw, I think it was maybe 12 jabs at each other, and that was it. And it was done, it was a nice big spread open. And uh, and then obviously the Daniel Potter might knock his ass out in the first round, but because of their Victorian rule and their English count, which clearly you see him hit the ground. I mean, he slumps under the, the bottom rope. It, it, you know, it is what it is. So, and I like the guys, I, you know, I like all the fighters over there. They're quality guys. So I just want to deal with those, those jokers, you know, personally, just because, I mean, they've proven themselves. I mean, a lot of people don't like Mark Godbeer or have problems with him. Mark Godbeer fought for them. And what they do, they took Mark Godbeer's fight off. Like it never existed. Like he's not a fighter here. And they made a belt. They, they never had, they've only, only had the world title belt for the heavyweights. And then all of a sudden they came up with the British belt and the world title belt. They're two different things now. And so Pottermore is the, the British champion, not the, not the world champion. And like, and they, they, it, it's a company. It's one company. I don't know how you have four different belts working for a company in one weight class. You know what I'm saying? So it's, they kind of do what they want to do. And I'm not trying to, you know, rag on them because I, I respect all the fighters that fight over there. It's a different style of fighting and uh, it's got to be respected. That's where I got my start. And I learned from a lot of the whales and, and the Welshmen and, 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 the, and the travelers that they, they taught me a lot and they were respectful and took me under their wing. So I respect them for that. It's just, you know, the business side of stuff is always paying the butt, you know, yeah. as usual. <laughs> yeah, but that's also it's it's also another testament to the BKFC, a little bit of a credit shown to them and how they've been able to grow and, you know, learn from they're probably you know doing their research as well they understand the game sounds like you got a little bit better uh organization over here with the bkfc compared to the bkb it's just crazy hearing hearing some of these stories now i want to hear a couple of things uh from you your pre-fight routine when you get to the stadium or whatever venue you're fighting at what's your pre-fight routine josh when you get how do you get yourself mentally prepared to walk out there and actually throw fists with another human being that is a heavyweight, which you know can do damage to you if you get hit. Knowing that that's going to happen, how do you mentally prepare? What's your pre-fight routine? Well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an educated guy, you know, but uh, I'm not very smart when it comes to fighting. Uh, because when I come to the venue, I, I don't, I'm not worried about getting hit. Nobody can knock me out. It, that's just, it's been my career. No one's been strong enough to knock me out. Tate was the first guy to legit knock me down in a stand-up fight. And, uh, you know, I popped right up. But but he hit me like a damn freight train. So but there's a lot of pride that I can take in that because I'm still 43 and taking some shots that would take half that roster, if not more than half of our roster, completely out. And I kept walking through them multiple times. So I'm not really worried about getting hit per se. I'm more worried about cuts. Cuts are a big thing. As far as ritual, um, man, I just do better when Mark's there. Mark Coleman's like a big brother to me, and uh, he's you know mentored me to pretty much 90% of my career and uh, he's always been there for me and having him there is, is a big difference. You know, it's a big game changer because it's just a, it's a mentality of hammer house. I'm hammer house, then hammer house, you know, my entire career and hammer house has got a different approach to the game. We don't give a fuck win, lose or draw. We're going to come out there and fuck you up. It, it's, it's, it's like, you know, walk into a yard and you're like, you know what? I, I, I can, I get that dog. I can kick him. I can beat him. I can give him the fuck off me. Probably kill it, you know, but, it's a pit bull. I know if you get to hold of me, it's going to fuck me up on some end. And, and we look at it like we're the pit bulls. We're going to fuck you up. Whether we win or lose, we're going to fuck you up. You're going to remember you want to fight with us. And uh, that's the mentality. So I am a pretty chill, laid back guy, man. When I go to the venue uh, with the BKFC, um, it's been a little different. Um, <laughs> I actually like having a lady named Katie Shook there. Um, that's the matchmaker's wife, Katie Shook. 
And Katie Shook brings a piece. I don't, I don't like she was there before I walked out with Chris Sorrow fight. Um, you know, she's like, okay, tell me where to get on your mark, tell you when you're going to go, what your time sets are. And she just, you're, there's, I don't, I hate to say it, but it's like a motherly type thing. Uh-huh. And she's a young lady. She's younger than me. And, uh, but it's, she brings a certain piece to it. So I like Katie Shook when she's there, brings that piece. And then Mark Coleman and my, and my trainer Vic, between the two of them, it's like salt and pepper. You know, they, they both have their own little thing, but together, you know, we shake shit up. And uh, at the end of the day, it, it's, I'm, I'm a joker, man. When I'm backstage, I'm a joker, smoker, have fun. That's when I perform the best. If I get super serious, that's you, one of two things happens. I, I end the fight within the first 30 seconds. Or it's a bad night for me because I'm too tense, too tight. And uh, so, yeah, so that, that's pretty much my, my fight rituals. I, I feel you on that. I think it's awesome, though, to hear because everybody's different. Some people are super calm. Some people have to hype themselves up. Uh, every fighter is different in the way that they conduct themselves coming out. When you get to the, to the squared circle, so they call it, um, and you're in there, finally, you've done the walkouts, everything. Now it's time to get down to business, right? You're going up there to toe the line. I love how, you know, in BKFC, I mean, I love the toe the line aspect of it. I love that they, you know, you're not starting in a corner and you're coming into the, you start in the center of the ring, if you will, the center of the the circle and you just go. I I mean, there's not, I mean, you don't get to walk in. It's like, you start there. I I love that, but it is a tad intimidating. I, I always think to myself, like back to my boxing matches, like, you know, taking a deep breath at that point, like there's a lot of stuff going through my head and all I was trying to do is just like, okay, forget what my like my family saying out in the crowd like just okay now i gotta focus in on this and i'm trying to like just compartmentalize everything i i i get nervous watching you guys tell the line when it comes to that point where you're just about to go are you nervous excited or are you kind of like is it almost like quiet uh well i don't give a shit who tells you they ain't nervous you got nerves man yeah. everyone's got nerves you ain't alive if you don't have nerves and if you say you don't have nerves you're a liar so whether they're positive nerves n- nervous nerves you know like butterflies something's going on but by the time you step on that line up to the walk once you step on that line it's going to start pretty damn quick so at that point you've got to be focused you know and for me it's it's head work you know i'm thinking head movement uh you know i want to pay attention to what my opponent does is he step out does he step back the first you know the first step is the backwards um that tells me a lot about the fighter too like okay they, they respect me or they're afraid of my power um, and I've yet to have anybody like stand up, you know, when they say toe the line that walks forward on me, nobody walks forward. So right there, that's a mental check where you're like, okay, they know what you're about. Like mentally, you know, you know how it goes. You're a fighter. You, you know, you had that time in the ring, shit slows down. So, yeah. you know, I could have a, con- I could have an hour long conversation with myself in about 30 seconds. Okay. And, uh, and literally that's how it feels. That's slow. So you, you pay attention. When I fought Chris Sorrow, obviously I was coming off like a 16 month layoff, you know, because of the eye and everything. And, uh, I started slow that first round. I mean, enough to where I hit him a couple of times and I knew when I hit him, I was like, okay, he didn't like that. He, he didn't expect that. He didn't expect my hand speed or whatever it may be. Um, but then that's why I have Mark Coleman and Vic in the, in the corner and between it, I need the two of them. I can't have just one of them. And it, it's, it's a combination, you know, and the last fight proved it because, you know, Vic's aggressive and like, you, you know, you'd be listening to me, you got to wake up, you got to wake up, throw your right. But if I had Coleman, he would be countering that with JB, you need to fucking go, you, you need to do this. You, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a combination of things, you know? So, and within all that, you know, walking through the line, you got your corner, you got your back. So you, you know, your team's there and all the work you've put in. If you've busted your ass in camp, you know, I do eight week camps. 
I don't do, I don't have to do anymore because I train all year round, you know. So it really only takes me six or eight weeks, six to eight weeks to really be fight ready. And uh, as long as your team's behind you and you're, you know, you got a solid team, I, I think walking, towing that line, it's pretty much you're now in fight mode. Even though you're not fighting yet, you're waiting for them to say, knuckle up, you know. You're, you're, you're already in fight mode. I'm, I'm analyzing, I'm watching, I'm looking for things. How am I going to set a trap up, you know, trying to be three steps ahead? I dig that. In the BKFC, I have a question for heavyweights. It, like in UFC, like it, like you don't look at in different promotions. Like heavyweights have to meet 265. They can't be over 265. So some guys have to cut. Some guys are smaller versions of heavyweights because they never like they don't have to do anything but eat because they can't meet 265. Anyways, for you uh, in the BKFC, do they have a weight limit for heavyweights for the fans out there listening? And if they do, do you have to cut weight? And and how does that go? Well, <clears throat> the BKFC does not. BKFC itself does not have a weight class. Like anything okay. over 206, you're heavyweight. Okay. Uh, but because we're new and we go to new states, like when we fought in Alabama, it was the first time. And that Alabama commission is very unique. And they treat us like MMA fighters. So I was coming in at like 270. And they're like, oh, by the way, on Tuesday. By the way, you got to weigh 265 on Thursday. That's only five pounds, and I'm a fat boy, so I can I can cut that weight. But I was like, oh, that's some bullshit, you know. Yeah. So, but uh, but like Mississippi, other places I've been, no heavyweight, heavyweight, it's unlimited. It's it's heavyweight, and uh, you know, obviously, if you come in too heavy, it's a detriment. So, but uh, but yeah, usually there's no weight class, but it really because we're a new sport, and these commissions are, you know, for them, it's they're super like on edge, and you know, being super close and like strict of liability issues. Like if I showed you the list of medical things I had to do for the state of Alabama, dude, you would laugh. Like, like obviously I'm a med student, you know, I did my, my time at school and I looked at it and all my boys are doctors and I'm like, look at this redundant shit. Like there's tests that you can't, because I did A and B, C and D legally won't even be like the insurance companies won't cover it because it's redundant. We've already did A and B. You can't do C and D. That's going to be out of pocket costs like $7,000 tests and shit. And you're like, and so my doctor's like, yo, you better let them know we're, we're about to send, because one of my docs on one of the big boards up here, he's like, well, our board will send a letter telling them like, what are you doing? And as soon as we, as soon as they knew that, they're like, oh no, no, you're good. You're good. It's okay with what you have. Like, yeah. But when I tell you, I'm not shitting you. I'm like, like, I like, it was like 16 things, like, like medical things. You're like, bro, I'm healthier than most 25 year olds that come in there. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, I understand if I was, uh, God, I'm trying to think of, not put people down, but you take a heavyweight that, that's been knocked out a lot, you know, yeah. you know, five or six times and at the end of their career, I get it, you know, for safety reasons. But you get a guy like me, even the last fight where I, I just took abuse, I never lost consciousness. I was cognitive and, and was able to communicate the entire time. Never had an issue, you know. Uh, the, the hematoma caused me some pain. So we did go to the ER after the fight. Like after I went to the hotel, we decided to go to the ER and <laughs> no cracks, no fractures, no nothing. It was just the hematoma, which is causing discomfort, you know, obviously on the side of my head, that was it. So, so I understand, but uh, you know, I think, I think these commissions need to do a better job on their, their history, like do their homework, pay attention yeah. to who, who's fighting and make it applicable. Cause they, they basically after age 40, they treat you like you're you're a geriatric. Like <laughs> if you don't come with the geritol and a fucking walking cane, they're not gonna let you fight. You know that kind of thing. So they, they already think you're a member of the AARP. Basically, they, they, they've got you all already set up for that. And that is interesting though, because it is a relatively new sport in the United States compared to other combat sports. It's the fastest growing combat sport, yeah. but 
that being said, it is relatively new. So each state that is now opening little by little, it's opening. It is interesting to see they're, they're trying to catch the hang of it, get the hang of it all. And, and hopefully yeah. it'll continue to, to gain steam and it, it can be more unified if you will. That is crazy though. So basically what you're saying is a, a 210 pounder who might not be able to cut down below 205, which would be crazy. I mean, but just if it's being, we're being just technical, a 210 pounder could be fine at 290 technically mm -hmm. speaking in the BKFC. Okay. So just so everybody understands that the, it's a little bit different with the BKFC rules and then what you might be used to in the UFC where there's a 265 limit. Um, but obviously there was the anomaly here with uh, Alabama. Now, as we're wrapping up the interview, Josh, I did have a couple of things I wanted to touch base on. You've referenced Chris Saros fight a couple of times. I had Chris on the show, which was an amazing interview with him hearing his whole story, his background of life and then fighting and so forth. Uh, he's relatively new into fighting, especially at the professional level. You've been at the professional level for quite some time now, but before the fight, it seemed like there was some animosity um, Chris talked about how fighting brings people together and you gain an immense amount of respect for one another. And you had referenced that he would be coming up for camp. He had talked about that as well. So now you guys seem to have like a, a brotherhood type of a friendship through fighting. But before that, you didn't. Do you mind giving us your perspective on kind of what led up to the Chris situation and then afterwards how things have transpired? Yeah, real simple, man. Uh, before Chris and I fought, Chris reached out to me trying to be nice. Um, I'm a veteran, though, bro. He's trying to reach out to me. He sent me some artwork that he made. And he's like, hey, it's an honor to fight you. Uh, here's some artwork that I made for our fight. Laugh out loud. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thumbs up. Respect. <laughs> and uh, I had an interview uh, probably a week later. And I didn't know that these guys that I interviewed with were like his, were Chris's ex-managers. So I, I didn't know that. So that. Obviously, they were going to poke, you know, and they asked, well, have you had any kind of communication with this guy? Do you know this guy? I'm like, no. I said, but he did reach out to me. He's not my friend on, on social media, but he did reach out to me. So I had to, you know, accept the, the message. And I said, he reached out to me, tell me it was an honor. This and that. I said, that's kind of a bitch move, bro. As a veteran, I look at it as you like kind of tipping your hand going, you afraid. Like you tipping your hand going, all right, like I know you the man. Like, like it's an honor to fight you. I'm, I'm a veteran, bro. I don't care. Like Joe Riggs, I'm, all my boys, they'll say the same thing. They all say, yeah, bro, I ain't reaching out to my fucking opponent saying shit. Like even I think you're the coolest, funniest motherfucker. I ain't saying shit to you until I beat that ass or you knock me out and then we'll be boys afterwards. So, <laughs> uh, he, he took that huge, like as a huge disrespect and, uh, and just, it just rolled from there. It snowballed. And, uh, obviously I'm a little more, I, I consider myself a little more articulate and a little more on point. So I like to be able to disrespect you in a proper way, in a way where people, when they watch it, they're like, Oh, that's cool information, but oh shit, he's like dogging that dude. <laughs> like <laughs> that's me. So I'm not I'm not gonna come right out to you and call you names and do all that, you know, third grader shit. So, anyways, and uh we had a fight and it wasn't cool after the fight, trust me. It was not cool. I didn't want to see him. Like, you know, we just had some personal things, you know, and I'm I don't want to rehash up what they were, but some serious, more, more serious things with with uh families and stuff that were involved. And uh so it was not cool after. And Mark Coleman had the fucking like Mark Coleman almost went to town the backstage because his people were a little riled up because I was a dick. If you watch the fight, like I'm a pretty cool, respectful guy, but after the fight, dude, uh, Dan Bergelai, first of all, throws me like a fucking potato sack and I do a little ninja roll pop up. And then, uh, you know, Dan, thank God Dan's my boy. Cause he didn't disqualify me. And then, then obviously, you know, I'm double burdening him and stuff. And it was pretty wild. That was a pretty disrespectful on my half after the fight. And then, uh, it wasn't good. And then I fought Kate. You know, I didn't know that Chris had lost his fight on that card when I fought Tate, but uh, I, I did not know. But after my fight uh, with Tate, 
I was walking back. Obviously, it looked like fucking Quasimodo. And uh, Chris comes jogging up. And my, my, my coach, Vic, was sitting there, and he sees him, and he's going to start moving towards him. I, and in my mind, I'm going, look, if he's going to say anything to me, I deserve whatever he's going to say. I got to take it because I just got my ass whooped. So I put my hand on my coach's hip and like, just let him say what he's going to say. And uh, the kid came up and straight up, his first words out of his mouth, said, bro, you okay? I'm like, I'm like, and I, and my first words were like, yeah, that boy can punch. He's like, yeah, I saw. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as I'm walking back to the medical tent, now he has to stop at a certain point because he can't go further. And uh, she's like, all right, well, we'll talk when you get out. I'm like, all right, that's cool. And uh, went back, got all my stitches, all that stuff done. And, uh, and from that point forward, it was, uh, I think we reached out on social media. I think he reached out to me. And he reached out to me because I had an interview like this. And I said, hey, I got to give Chris Shaw respect after that fight the last person in the world that I thought would come up and say, Hey, are you okay? And be legit, be genuine was Chris Saro. And he was actually probably the only one that came up and besides family and friends. And, uh, that was a big deal. And I took that as a huge respect. And, you know, from there, we pretty much have talked in there daily for the last two months. And, you know, he's a really good guy. And I think it's just inexperience on, on, on his end and, and me getting a little overhyped. And, you know, we squashed all that junk and uh, I'm going to bring him up. And I really think that he can be a world champion. I just think it's just the, the matter of the team that's surrounding, you know, what he does. You know what I'm saying? So, sure. yeah. So there you go. That, that's about as quick as I can. Wow. No, that's that. awesome, man. I, I, I That is so crazy hearing it from your perspective, too. That's super, super cool. For those listening, if you haven't heard, you know, Chris talked kind of about it, alluded to a few things that had happened there. And then hearing it from Josh's perspective is really cool because, yeah, it's the fight game. And I've never actually brought on two former opponents uh, on the show in four and a half years. So like, that's really cool just to hear. That's the first time I've gotten to do that. So the last question I have for you, Josh, before I ask you about what's next, which we might not be able to go into details of, but we'll, we'll ask you this. We always learn from wins and losses and so forth. Everybody likes to hear about the knockouts and whatnot, but you have talked about some of the losses here for the listeners out there, whether they're a, a parent of an athlete, uh, a former athlete or a current athlete, regardless of what sport it is, if they're a fighter, if they're just a basketball player, football player, whatever it is, how do you handle the losses? Because that is where I feel like we have to dig deep within ourselves, especially in the fight game for that matter. Cause you literally were, you know, testosterone's running. You just got beat, right? How do you handle the losses? How have you been able to get out of the loss and move forward? Understanding like, okay, take mine. And now it's time to get back at it and keep that savage mentality. It is a process. This is not something that you learn overnight. And when I fought for Bellator, obviously I fought main card every time. I was always a short notice fight. I never got more than two to three weeks notice. And I always fought top tier guys, Bobby Lashley, uh, Prendles, the fucking, you know, Th uh, Thiago Santos, everybody. Right. And when I would lose in Bellator, they would try to send me my check. It's good checks. And I'd be in my room and I would tell, I would tell whoever was trying to cut the check. I'm like, I don't want the fucking money give it to donations, give it to some charity. Like <laughs> I was really like, I, I was proper in, in, in public, but I do I crumble personally. And, uh, it took, it takes time. It takes the right people around you. Um, I got my, my fiance with me now and you know, I I've lost wives in this business. I've lost family like where the, just because it takes a toll it's so much of your time, but you have to have the right people that truly have your back come, you know, no matter what, rain or shine, they're there. And I really believe that it's about the team and the family that you have around you. And when I say family, that don't mean your fucking blood. That means who, you might be your training partners. So uh, you got to have the right people around you. And you got to have the mindset like, hey, look, man, everybody has a bad day. Now, if you lost 10 in a row, maybe you need to look for another career. 
Okay. But you know, if you've got a decent, you know, if you're doing well and you, you get a loss and you know, it's stumble. All you gotta do is dust yourself off, get back up, keep that positive mindset. Like me with this Tate thing. I mean, my God, if I beat Tate, which was supposed to be a given, I would have been fighting Joey Beltran now. I was fighting the winner of the Joey Sam fight. So, and I lost a lot of shit in that fight, you know, and I, I fell back. So now I, I'm two fights away from being, you know, getting a title shot and being title contention and instead of just that one. And it's, it's a mental, it's a mental mindset and having a proper team and your proper mindset as far as realizing that, you know what, it was just a stumble. Yeah, that's it. Just a simple stumble. And, you know, you got to learn from it. And the great thing is with my losses, you know, for me personally speaking, I can look at the fight with Frank Tate and I can take all what other God, literally let's just take, take all the losses and, and the wins and just say, look at the way I fought. And I know when I fought Frank Tate, I was not 20% of what I was Josh Burns. Like Josh Burns is a come forward, throws a bunch punches and bunches. I'm a grimy fighter, you know, and I didn't do that. So, you know what? I can just sit back and go, okay, I didn't have a good night. I, I wasn't on. I had a great camp, was in great shape, felt great. Mentally, something was wrong. And it happens. So, you know, dust yourself off. Keep a strong mindset because this game is 90% mental. 10% physical, 90% mental. I've seen guys that go in there with the mental strength of a fucking lion and a guy that's got the body of a Greek god, but his mental strength is at a 20. And trust me. The 20, the guy that had the, the big Greek body got his ass whooped. He should have won. Physically, he had more physical attributes and strengths. But the guy that was mentally stronger pulled it out. So you got to have a strong mindset. That's, that's, that's probably my biggest thing for young fighters to stay strong mentally. You know that this is a 90% mental game. I dig that. I love that. And I love that you mentioned the support crew as well. For those listening, if you're an athlete, um, uh, anybody who's a friend of an athlete, whatever, understand that losses suck. That's part of life. We understand that. But even in life, if you go through a divorce, I've, I've talked about that um, in my life. I went through a divorce when I was 25. One of those situations where it's unexpected. You need the support system. So if you're in sports, you need the support system. Be a supporter, rain or shine. Don't be a fair weather uh, fair weather fan, if, if you will. Uh, don't be fair weather family. Don't be fair weather friends. Um, be there, rain or shine. I dig that piece of it too. So the mental side and the support side is such a huge aspect of dealing with loss. What's next for Josh Burns, man? If you could just tell us real quick what you expect to ha have happen without, you don't have to go into details or anything. Yeah. You don't know him, but what should we expect to see next with Josh Burns when you, uh, what are you preparing for so we can get ready for it in the BKFC? But right now we're getting ready. We're preparing for Sam Shoemaker. Sam Shoemaker is the fight that we want. It's a fight that needs to happen. Dave Feldman, the owner of the BKC, said it's a fight he wants to see. It only makes sense. We're both two top five uh, contenders. We both lost. Uh, granted, he lost to Joey Beltran. I lost to a guy that wasn't ranked. But at the end of the day, we're two top five contenders that both lost. If you want to stay relevant and stay in title contention, we both fight. The winner continues in title contention. The loser needs to kick rocks and restart. So, for me, that's pretty much a, it's a game over for me. If I lose a Sam Shoemaker, I'm probably pretty much done because I'm too old. I don't have the time to get five fights to work my way back up to the top. So it's a great fight. It's an intriguing fight. Sam and I were supposed to fight three out times prior. Uh, one time was not neither of our faults. Uh, then there was two other poll, you know, two other fights that were canceled. Uh, obviously, I was ready for both of those. So at the end of the day, Sam Shoemaker is the next fight, man. He's the next fight, and we're pushing hard for it. And I think he knows he knows what's up. So uh, it'll be a great fight. Look forward to seeing it, man. I'm looking forward to see how all this transpires with the matchmaking. And um, hopefully it's in the next couple of months if we can get, get that to go down. 
Hope Sam hears that and realizes how important this really, really is for the sport. I look forward to it, Josh. And I appreciate you being willing to share your story with us and, and share your knowledge. And uh, we just look forward to rooting for you moving forward, man. So thank you so much for joining the show. Right on, bro. Appreciate you guys having me. Take care, man. And for all those out there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Share this with your friends and family so they can hear from Josh. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.